Hi, my name is Maria Velaceres. I'm the founding partner of Steel Sky Ventures and we invest in women's health tech. Femtech to me is creating the products, services and solution that women so desperately need. We are so excited to be a part of this movement that will provide better health care for women around the world. Welcome to Femtech Focus with Dr. Brittany Barreto, exploring the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today's episode, I interview Maria Velasaris, the founding general partner of Steel Sky Ventures. Steel Sky is one of only six femtech-specific venture funds. Their thesis is driven by their belief that women's healthcare is a global market opportunity in its nascent stage that is primed for exponential growth. They invest across several verticals in women's health, including medical devices, consumer health, digital health, new healthcare delivery models, e-pharmacy, and retail therapeutics. As a femtech investor myself, it was great to speak with another woman on the same mission. Enjoy the episode. Hey, Maria, welcome to the show. Hi, Brittany. Thanks for having me. Definitely. Uh, very, very happy to have you on the show. It's been a long time coming. Um, I know we uh, rescheduled a few times because you had like a really big LP anchor meeting last minute. And I was like, get it, girl. No yeah. <laughs> you know, get the money, get the money. And then I had my summit. And so it was. Uh, I'm glad that we're finally chatting. And uh, I have faith that the universe was like, just wait to tell her story. Wait to tell Maria's story. Not yet. Not yet. I think we're ready now, though. Yes, and thank you. And I think that's good news that we're both busy as women's health. You know, we people 10 years ago were twiddling their thumbs because nobody was interested in women's health or having anything to do with it. Now you're running whole conferences about women's health. I'm talking to investors who want to invest in women's health. So we're definitely on a good trajectory now. Yes, yes, yes. I, um, I think it's, you know, because uh, we're raising our Coyote Ventures as well. And people are like, wait, how many deals do you see a day? And we're like, yeah, literally there's that many. <laughs> I see your face. You're like, yeah. And when people question, well, I don't know if you'll have enough deal flow. I'm like, I just don't have enough money. And they're like, but aren't there a couple of other funds doing this? Yeah, we all don't have enough money. There's nope. so much innovation in the category. There's just not enough money. And um, I'm excited about what I'm seeing. And I just wish I could fund a lot more of these innovations. I know. Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's so, oh my gosh, this is really great. Every listeners just enjoy listening on this uh, two VCs chatting because um, we just actually, Jess and I just graduated from Founder Institute VC Lab. It's like an accelerator for emerging mm-hmm. fund managers. And uh, their, their course, they were like, you're going to have to fight with other investors. You're going to need sharp elbows. You're going to need to compete to get in the round. And I'm like, we have this Slack channel we just started with all the other femtech funds. like, And we're going to have quarterly meetings and share our deal memos <laughs> because- yeah. There's so many deals and uh, we all need to co-invest and, uh, and do it. It's very different. It's like very, it's very so different. Fun. Have you noticed that? And How I love that it's other investors. 
I totally agree. I did the uh, VC accelerator program, VC Unlocked at Stanford University and learned a lot. And it's interesting, even when I'm talking to other investors, they're like, steal the whole round and do all this. I'm like, no, I want to bring in Ria and Avestria and Coyote. And they're like, why? Why wouldn't you just take it all? I'm like, because that's not how women work. And that's not how we want to grow the sector of the market. I don't want to ghost founders when they call. Like, I'm just operating differently. And I think we all have a level of respect that for the innovators in the space and so that we're we're operating differently and i hope that the sector continues to operate that way maria uh this is amazing listeners this we didn't plan this like we're just naturally leading our own funds with this attitude you're you're speaking of respect and not ghosting founders we actually do give our founders feedback even when we pass Mm -hmm. we say hey here's the deal memo and here's the problems we found and jess and i tell our venture partners that are new to venture, we say, oh, by the way, mostly no one does this. <laughs> Investors no. never give feedback. I think it's more important to give feedback when you pass because those are the people that need the most feedback. You didn't get the investment. Here's why. Here's what we need to see for next time. And we've had founders come back and say, here was what you said we needed to do. We've done it. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess you're ready for the chat. Like, you are serious about it. And we love founders that take feedback and incorporate it rather than doubling down, um, you know, on what they previously said. Mm-hmm. And I think it's important also to know, you see, um, for the listeners out there, you understand how Brittany and I are talking. This is how we're all talking in the VC industry. So mm-hmm. it's opaque in a black box to you, but we all know each other in chat. So if you go and you piss off Brittany and you give her attitude, I'm going to call Brittany and say, hey, Hey, I heard you talk to this founder last week. How is she? And she's going to say, oh, she has a terrible attitude. And I'll say, okay, pass. You know, and so I think that they don't understand that we all talk to each other. Oh, it's, we talk, we talk. I have a shit list, you know, not just founders, <laughs> but like yeah. service providers of lawyers of yeah. like, here's the people we're going to pass on, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. totally. Uh, well, Maria, we're already like deep into it and we're not even, you know, we didn't start with our first question yet, which is kind of introducing you. Uh, we're just been bonding so much already. Um, our listeners love to learn a little bit more about the backgrounds of our guests. And so could you tell us, you know, where you're from? What did you study? Did you have a career before venture? And, and how did you end up here? Great. Well, When people ask me where I'm from, I'm kind of like a world citizen. I was born in Germany, lived in Belgium, got to the U.S. when, you know, permanently when I was 10. So, um, so I claim Northern Virginia, D.C., Maryland area. So that's where I went to high school and grew up and then, you know, did undergrad at Wake Forest, was a computer science and business major there. And that's when I started my first company um, because I love entrepreneurship and I, you know, just really was one of those people sitting around your dorm room being like, okay, twiddling my thumbs. And so um, (laughs) I tell this story on a Saturday night, I was just, you know, sitting at my computer and somebody else in the VC industry now, um, he wasn't before, um, called me, he went to Duke and he said, hey, I know somebody else who wants to start a company. Do you want to meet him? And I'm like, yeah. So I just drove to Duke. I met this guy. He told me this idea um, about an online shipping and storage company for college students. And I said, okay, well, I'm a computer science major. I can help. Um, So let's do it. So we did it and we grew that company to be the largest online shipping and storage company for college students in the nation. And U-Haul subsequently bought it and they're still running it today, 20 years later. So while I may look young, <laughs> that's 20 plus 20 for, for people that can do math. But <laughs> so because people are like, oh, you know, so um, 
Yeah, so been around a while. So as you said, is VC my first career? Clearly not my first career. So after no, that- and <laughs> health. It was yeah. the IT management movement stuff, right? Yeah. So we, um, yeah, so after that experience was really great, really understood that I wanted to be a good operator. There's a lot I didn't know at 19 years old starting a company. So spent the next 15 years just picking up tools. So went to work at um, Booz Allen as a IT strategy consultant, then went to NYU, got a finance degree, then I went to craft to learn about product development, marketing, then I worked at a branding agency, then I worked in a national consulting firm where I worked in South Korea at Samsung, I worked at Philips and Amsterdam, so got to travel the world, which was really awesome, working cross-culturally, and then came back here and helped scale the largest dermatology clinic in New York. So um, well, now in the Northeast, they have over 60 locations, amazing. Um, that was an amazing experience. I learned so much and got to really put everything to use, all the skills I had learned along the way. And so that's really what got me interested in healthcare. Um, yeah. And then I really wanted to learn how to invest because we were VC backed and I wanted to understand how they were making those decisions. So I joined Pipeline Angels as an angel investor and invest, started investing. So uh, about four years had gone by of doing angel investments. I had done about seven, five of them were in women's health. And I just saw this as a really huge area of opportunity. So while I was investing in female founders with the angel group, a lot of them were staying away from healthcare because as we know, healthcare is layered, it's complex, and it, there's a lot of nuance to it. And, you know, our payer and insurance system is so complicated. So a lot of people didn't feel comfortable making those investments where I did. And so I really saw an opportunity to do more. As you said, the pipeline got long and I knew I was going to run out of money in my little angel account. So I said, you know, this is the time I think we should, you know, raise a fund. So partnered with one of my colleagues from um, Pipeline Angels and we started last year raising a $50 million fund to invest in women's health tech. Oh my gosh, I love it so much. You know, you bring up a really interesting point that I've heard several times in the last year and a half is, you know, where are the investors that invest in female founders in healthcare? And, you know, I was like, you know, all of the like female founder funds I come across, they don't touch healthcare. They do CPG, travel, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, I mean, I love, I'm a geneticist. I'm like really excited for us to be doing diagnostics, class one med devices, um, you know, therapeutics and class two, class three med devices, a little bit too intense, a little too long. My, our fund is too little for that, but uh, oh, that's so awesome that you feel comfortable with that. Do you think it was because of your uh, experience with the dermatology thing, or do you have other advisors that are more healthcare oriented that you're going to lean on? Yeah, we have a network of over 150 specialists. So from urogynecologists to embryologists, IVF specialists. So we have a, a very big team. Um, but like you, we don't invest in life sciences or biotech. Again, we're looking for digital and consumer health companies that usually will have an exit in you know four to five years because mm -hmm. of its technology. And especially now, post-COVID, a lot of these digital um, health companies are being scooped up um, you know, and put into larger platforms. And so that's kind of what we're looking. And I think that's how most of the companies in our portfolio will play out just being acquired and being a part of these larger platforms. Yeah, totally. And so, you know, you've been doing this raising your fund for the last year. Um, have you started to make investments? 
Yes. So we've made nine investments. We have three in the pipeline for the next couple of months. So yeah, we're off to a great start and our, you know, our portfolio is already doing well. We have an IPO in our portfolio. We have a couple of very significant markups. And so we're really off to the races and doing well. And I think Brittany, there's a lot of pressure and responsibility on us as some of the first women's health funds to be yeah. successful. Because if we don't do it, we're gonna prove their point and say this wasn't a category, it wasn't big enough, it wasn't this, all the BS that we hear them telling us, we have to make sure that we prove to them that this is a market and that it's viable. And I don't think we're gonna have to work very hard. Oh my gosh, I've, I know that. And sometimes my boyfriend's like, why are you not sleeping? And I'm like, the whole world is watching. <laughs> There's a lot of pressure and he's like, oh, great. you know, but uh, I'm so grateful that you actually just said that because it does feel like that when you're like trying to prove it to him, you know, and you're like, damn it, we really need to, <laughs> it's not going to be the industry's fault if the coyote doesn't succeed, right? It's going to be something else, but um, because Femtech is, is so ready. It's so primed. Um, what has your experience been like fundraising for your fund from LPs? You know, uh, do you say the word vagina, like, do they freak out? Do they tell you this is niche? Like, tell us about that experience. Well, it's, it's interesting. They either get it or they don't. And I yeah. can tell in five minutes if they're getting it or they don't. Uh, it's, it's interesting because I'll say, yeah, the speculum company we think is really interesting. And they're like, what's a speculum? I'm like, okay, this is why these companies don't get funded. You don't even know what they're working on. And so uh, you can't expect that. But um, I, I mean, we've, we found a really a, a really great LPs that have been really supportive and they love what we're doing mission aligned. I love our, you know, female investors. I love, you know, our male investors who understand health and they understand how women have been understood. And they also, quite frankly, understand the opportunity and they understand that we're going to be more likely to win these deals, um, Brittany and I, than you know some guy who's you know 60 years old in Silicon Valley. Like they're going to want to work with us. They That's see our passion. They see our dedication. They see that we're authentically aligned to the space. And being a women's healthcare investor is more than writing checks. We have to move policy. We have to move social norms. We have to change advertising. There's so much more than just writing checks. And I think that. Um, we're signing up for all that. People that dabble in women's health, they don't, they're not part of that ecosystem. And so that's why I think, um, you know, when people are asking me, why aren't you a generalist? Does it make sense that you're more? And I'm like, well, this area specifically comes with a lot more baggage than, you know, your average like, crypto fund or something like that. But uh, that's why I think, you know, there's a, a tall order for people that sign up to invest in women's health care. And it's definitely much larger and much broader than some of the other funds out there. I am feeling so heard and felt like right now, <laughs> like, I'm like, oh my gosh, yes, that's what we're doing. We're, we really are like taking on so much more. Uh, when I was in the accelerator program for VC funds, it was, you know, people were like, we're a, you know, software as a service investor in Canada. And it was just like, like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, how are you changing the world? I'm waking up and delivering period underwear to people in Ghana. Like, <laughs> I mean, but that's where I think we are really lucky that we have the opportunity not only to invest in female founders and help the ecosystem, but we also can do things, introduce things in the world that help people and that are good for people. I mean, at the end of the day, we don't have to be an impact fund to create all the great impact because we're not an impact fund, but inherently we all are impact funds. But um, I don't think you have to be an impact fund to create 
good right. in the world. I seriously, again, like this is just so amazing. We need to talk more often because you're just like narrating what's in my head. I get asked all the time, are you an impact fund? And I always am like, well, not like in the sense that I'm going to call it that, but it has impact. Yes. Right. You know? Yeah. Like, are you tracking? Because if they, if you want to call yourself an impact fund, you have to adhere to all these standards and track all these metrics. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, if that's what an impact fund is. I'm just somebody who does that anyway. And I'm naturally, <laughs> I'll just show you that if we introduce something that's going to help menopause, going to help a lot of people, like yeah. you do the metrics on that. If that's not good enough, then <laughs> I don't know what is, you know? So it's, it's interesting. And it's, yes. yeah, because people think about you differently. If you classify yourself as an impact fund, so they think you're compromising returns or you're yeah. doing charity work. We're not, we're making money. We're investing in founders that want to make money and have legitimate ideas. And so I, I hear that sometimes when we're raising, it's like, oh, we already gave to charity. I'm like, I'm not a charity. We have MBAs, you have a doctorate. Like we're not yeah. just, you know, yeah. The, so I, I think that having amazing women in, in this category and, and funding other amazing women, I think will help us all in the end and also help us change what it means to be a VC investor and what it looks like to be a VC mm -hmm. investor. 12 years ago, you and I wouldn't be having this conversation as a woman, as a person of color and a woman, you know, there's still less than 1% of me out there and there's barely even more for, of you out there. Yeah, so yeah. We could be having this conversation and raising funds. I think is really a push in the right direction. That's right. Yeah. I mean, here I am. I normally have pink hair. Um, you know, I'm 29. I have 3D printed uterus earrings, right? Like this is usually not what VC looks like. Um, and I've actually, you know, had a few phone calls where people are like, oh, you're starting your fund. Like you think you raise in like the next two years. And I'm like, we're like 10% close. We started raising like four weeks ago. They're like, oh, oh, wow. Okay. Like this is, you're, this is real. Yeah, this is real. <laughs> Get on board y'all. You mentioned earlier about female founders. What's your opinion on male founders in femtech? I support any founders that want to make a mark in, in women's health in general. I think it makes sense for them to have a woman on their team. And so when people come to me and they don't, I'm like, how are you innovating? And you're not even talking to the consumer. So if you have a woman on your team, I just think they'll avoid a lot of marketing mistakes. Talking to women is different than talking to men or just trying to talk mass. And I think that they just would benefit usually from having a woman on the team. Yeah, totally. I, I love seeing male founders in Femtech, but if there's not a female co-founder, I'm like, right. I don't know, historically, every time I see a male only Femtech company, it's usually like pinky gloves out of Germany that they're like, we're going to exactly. make love so women don't have to touch their own vagina. And I'm like, okay. So like, and said, who, who asked for that? You know, <laughs> like, uh, again, and I'm like, who did you talk to? Like, yeah. seriously, this is what happens. And I always use some, some companies as an example. This is what happens when you don't have a woman on the team. You right. invest something that you think is useful for us, but it may, may or may not be. Why don't you just have a woman on the team and figure it out? <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. Um, so your, your fund is called Steel Sky Ventures. What is Steel Sky? What does that mean? Well, I <laughs> was sitting on my balcony. Uh, we had just moved from Manhattan right on the water side um, of Jersey. And so I was just really looking at the sky and it was like a beautiful, um, you know, steel blue sky. And I saw all the buildings were, you know, steel. And so I just kind of came up with it. So the logo is actually the view, 
from my brownstone at the time um, of New York. Cool. You know, there's actually a lot of fund managers in femtech of the like eight or so femtech specific funds. I think like half of us are from Jersey. Oh, <laughs> I think I'm like, this is statistically significant, y'all. We should like dig into this. Is it just because Jersey girls are like, I don't care what you think. I'm going to say <laughs> what I think, you know, like, I don't know what it is. <laughs> I can't claim being a Jersey girl, but I have lived there part of my 13 years in that area. We did mm-hmm. spend a lot of that time on the Jersey side, but I do. I think that there's just some kind of confidence that people yeah. in Jersey have that people aren't going to tell you no. Cause you know, people tell us no all the time. And all we the time? have thick skin. And I think girls from Jersey have thick skin. Yes, yes, yes. That's so interesting. Um, what are some trends you're seeing right now in femtech and what are some things that you're hoping to see more of? Well, some of the trends we're seeing, I just think it's so saturated, all of these tracking apps. Like, oh, if, you, yeah. like if you have a period tracking app, put it on the shelf and try something new um, because <laughs> it's so saturated. And I think, uh, but I, I am really looking forward to people innovating more in the menopause category because, the, I mean, everybody focuses on contraception and IVF and fertility, but what happens when fertility is over? Those people are suffering and there's nothing there. And I think one of the reasons is, people that are innovating are younger. And so they don't have experience with menopause. So it's, again, it's more challenging because it's like male trying to make a female product. Like we haven't, if you haven't undergone menopause, I think you see the situation. Looking for, and, and I feel like also the innovation ecosystem doesn't celebrate older um, entrepreneurs. And I would love for older women entrepreneurs to get into the space. And they, you know, people who have had careers in marketing and pharmaceuticals um, industry or in med tech, these are the people that we need to be designing um, for the menopause category. These are the people that really I'm encouraging to get into the game because I think you would be able to come up with something um, better than quite frankly, what I've seen in the market so far. Yeah, it's a really, really interesting point. Um, I wonder what like the average age of a femtech founder is. Um, And that's something maybe femtech focus could do. We love doing research and databases and stuff because, um, you know, uh, how how is even the pandemic potentially affecting, you know, women over 50 starting startups, right? Usually these are women taking care of their own parents, taking care of their family, their children, their offspring, they're taking care of their partner, right? And so it's like, um, are they also starting companies or not? And like, how can we support them more? Like, it's just another kind of scenario of women, you know, being bogged down and not being able to take these big risks, like starting a business and quitting your day job and just doing it, right? Yeah. It is. And I think that some states are actually trying to think about that too. How can we support you in so that you can focus on running your business? So how can they provide funding, not just for the business, but for your life? Because care and- you know, there's a lot of single moms or people that would love to invent something. They just don't have the luxury of taking off and, you know, right. you know not paying rent. And so there's so many good ideas and entrepreneurs out there that I, I, I don't think we're seeing because of these inequities and, you know, financial situation. Absolutely. 100%. Do you think femtech is doing a good enough job? And I'm just speaking kind of generally as the industry, are we doing a good enough job innovating for the non-affluent white woman? (laughs) Because historically that's who we've innovated for. So do you think we're starting to see companies specifically targeting Latina women, black women? Are we seeing that? 
Well, I am because I'm looking for it, right? You can put blinders on and not see anything out of your, your realm. I yeah. think that healthcare needs to be more equitable across, you know, not only gender, but also eth- ethnic. And we've seen during COVID disparities in certain populations. And I'm happy that that was highlighted so it can be addressed. Mm-hmm. And that we're seeing a lot of culturally competent companies um, innovating. And those are the companies that we're looking for. We're looking for companies that you know, are going to not just do commercial payer, but they're also going to the Medicaid mom, which is 78% of women having babies are on Medicaid. So we're like, okay, this population needs to be addressed. We're looking for people looking to address the maternal mortality rate for black and Hispanic women, which is three to four times more um, overall, but in Jersey, it's seven times more likely. And in New York, you're 10 times more likely to die if you're a, a black woman. So these stats are, frightening and they should be scary to people and that should spur innovation to save lives and so we're looking for companies that do address these populations um but again that's a function of us having a diverse team this is a function of me being a black woman and understanding the needs um more so than maybe some traditional vcs um but i do think that uh, uh, entrepreneurs are starting to think about how to address the that part of the healthcare system as well yeah, definitely. What about femtech around the world? Um, does your fund just invest in the U.S.? And then also, what are you seeing just in terms of trends, whether you invest or not? Like, do you see other countries kind of really taking taking the lead here? Yeah. So we look at also Israel. I think Israel's amazing for femtech innovation. You know, the IVF capital of the world. They're coming out with some great um, femtech, great medical devices. So I've seen a lot of good innovation there, but. I do believe innovation happens everywhere, and I think that it's born out of opportunity. And so I see things coming out of Africa and coming out of India that's really specific to those communities. And I do think that innovating locally and coming up with things that can work in your country um, makes a lot of sense. It's totally. what I found it is a challenge to take people innovating in healthcare in other countries and try to bring it to the U.S. because of our payer system because our employer system it's really complicated and if you're not a part of it it's really hard to understand how to navigate yeah no totally um this has been so much fun um what are some of your like future goals for steel sky and what are some of your future goals for femtech in general so one of our goals is born from a program that we just did a couple of weeks ago with two of our portfolio companies, Ruby Love and Zipline. Ruby Love has period underwear. And so Zipline was going into a new um, place in Africa where the women didn't have access to tampons or pads or other menstrual supplies and they wanted to do a fundraiser. So what we did was we said, we can do one better. Let's bring them this sustainable period underwear so they don't run out so that they can continue yeah. to launch it and not drop out of school. There's girls around the world, for those of you who don't know listening to this podcast, in places that are called period deserts where they don't have access to menstrual products and they have to leave school for you know 10 days a month or sometimes they just drop out completely. And so this shouldn't be happening. So what we did was we went to Ghana and I flew over there and we re- dropped um, these period underwear by drone to these remote villages. Oh my in- gosh. It was amazing. We serviced over 2,000 girls on in, um, National mm-hmm. Menstrual Day, and we talked to them about um, menstrual health, hygiene, and actually how to use the period underwear. So for that, normally, you know, you throw the Ruby Love underwear into the washing machine, but over there, they don't have 
running water. So we would yeah. teach the girls how to go to the river, wash it, lay it in the sun, turn it over. And it was such an amazing experience. And so that's really what I want to continue to do with Steel Sky is use the collective efforts of our portfolio companies working together to spread more good around the world and create an impact. So right now we're actually looking, it was such a successful program that I met with the chiefs of all of these villages and they were like, we need more. We wanted to do more of this. And so I want to do more too. So we're trying to figure out how to get funding so that we can continue to do this project around the world. Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful. Um, are there like other um, causes around the world that you think Steel Sky would like to get involved with? Like you're referring kind of the period poverty and, and mm -hmm. African lack of access to products. Is there other like movements that we should be focusing on and people rallying around? Well, I like to just be focused, raising a fund and deploying it to 20 companies and helping them run the business is, is a tall order. So yeah. we're just focused on period poverty for now. And I mean, there's no dearth of things that need to be done around the world. So, yeah. but for us, this is something that we can uniquely, we're uniquely positioned to do in a sustainable way, right? So it's good for the environment because you're not throwing away, you know, these disposable products and it's good for the girls. And so we're, we're excited about expanding that program. Hmm. Yeah, speaking of sustainability, we actually just got asked yesterday by an LP that are you uh, taking in sustainability into account in your investments? And I, you know, we said, well, I guess we were, we didn't know we were, but we are, you know, um, do you, do you see that too in uh, the femtech companies, like in taking sustainability into account? It depends on the type of company, but I do think it's definitely in the back of everyone's mind. ESG is very top of mind for a lot of investors. And so I think it's trickling down to the startups as well. Yeah, totally. Well, Maria, this has been so much fun. I have two last questions for you that our listeners love. We have a lot of aspiring femtech founders, a lot of grad students and university students listening, which I'm so happy about because we're like, innovate, you know, we're inspired in the next wave. But what is an area in women's health and wellness that still needs innovating? Well, like I said, I think there's a lot of opportunity in menopause and there's a lot of opportunity in maternal mental health. I think we all know that, you know, one third of women are experiencing, you know, postpartum depression and it's just not been well treated. And so it's really innovating and finding effective ways to reach out to various communities to address this postpartum depression, depression overall. I think women, we're stressed, we're overworked, we're dealing with family, we're dealing with our children, we're dealing with our parents, we're dealing with now becoming teachers because of Zoom school. And wow. so I think it's very overwhelming and hard whether you've given birth or not. And so I think that we need to meet women where they are and provide different ways for them to be able to access services for mental health. Yeah. I, I love the postpartum mental health part because, you know, um, my sister had a baby last year. And so everyone was kind of prepping me for how to support her. And they were like, she's going to be really depressed, potentially even suicidal for two days after. And I'm like, we're, we're all just okay with this. That's like, just, we're all like women will just be suicidal with their new baby for a week. Like, and that's just, oh, you know, the hormones are all over the, and it's just like, we shouldn't be like, that's acceptable. <laughs> You're right? right. Two days, more like two weeks, two months, two years, she could still yeah, be yeah, yeah, yeah. in this way. Because if you don't treat it, how do you expect people to come out of it? Just the joy of being a mother is not enough to take you out of depression. That's what they'd like to tell you. And they make you feel bad. Yeah. yeah. They make you feel bad. This is a real thing. And I think that we need to be honest with each other and we need to be honest with women and, 
and, and tell them what they're going through is normal and had, and, and share with them how they can actually get help. Mm, yes. And I also, last part on the mental health is uh, I've had an interview with Parla and they are focusing on, you know, supporting women when they have a pregnancy loss. And we were talking about how society says, don't tell anyone you're pregnant for the first 12 weeks, because in case you lose it, you might like make feel, other people feel uncomfortable. <laughs> Exactly. Wait, 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 back up, huh? Like you lost a baby, like you're lost your, you know, like this thing and you're supposed to keep it to yourself because like no one wants to hear about it. It's like, yeah, women need all the mental health support we can get. Creates unnecessary shame. Everybody needs to go get Brene Brown books so then they can feel better <laughs> about shame and learn how to compartmentalize it. Um, but it's just like, this is unnecessary shaming of women who's had yeah. something that has no fault of their own happening. Yeah, totally. Well, and Maria, our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now in order to be successful? More female investors, more female venture funds that are willing to write checks to these women's health companies. That's really all it is. It's These companies can't get funded if they don't have people willing to write checks. A lot of people aren't willing to write checks because we can't raise big enough funds because people, you know, they're selling their company to us, but we're selling their company also to the yep. investors to give us money. And so we're all working in this chain together. And if we can't get the money that we need to prove out the sector, the sector isn't going to prosper. That's right. Well, I love it. This has been amazing. Uh, we need to chat more often. If I need a pep talk or someone to commiserate, I think I found my girl because yes. <laughs> I feel red today. Uh, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me and best of luck with Coyote. Thank you for listening to my interview with Maria Velasaris, the founding general partner of Steel Sky Ventures. If you're a women's health startup seeking investment, be sure to submit your information on their website at steelskyventures.com. Already Femme fans, be sure to give the show a five-star review and share it with a friend. Join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org and join the thousands of other Femtech founders, investors, and mentors advancing women's health. While in the virtual community, sign up for Fem Pro membership. It's only $10 a month and gives you access to the Femtech Institute, which is a library of Femtech and startup lessons that are sure to help you advance your company and teach you more about the industry. Keep an eye out for our monthly book club and subscribe to our newsletter. Last but not least, please consider setting up a recurring donation to Femtech Focus. We are a 501c3 nonprofit and rely on your donations to operate. Okay, Fem fans, until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.